I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 30, which along with Psalm 32 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, December the 10th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We've got um, continuing our, our look at the prophecy of Haggai, also in Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6, and then finally in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 24, the first 14 verses. So in the Haggai passage, remember yesterday that, that Haggai, Haggai's prophecy begins with uh, in an odd way, <laughs> because it says it comes by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Um, and so he's bringing this, this powerful word of encouragement to the people to rebuild the temple in yesterday's, and, and now continuing to, to, con- to encourage um, in the building of the temple, because there's much to be discouraged about, as you'll hear in the, in the passage. So in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. So we're about six weeks plus, maybe, maybe seven weeks, into the prophetic, uh, well, at least the public prophetic career of Haggai that we know about. This all began in the first part of the sixth month, and now here we are on the 21st day of the seventh month. Um, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say. Again, yesterday, remember that Haggai's prophecy is not addressed randomly and openly. All his prophecy is addressed to the temporal and spiritual leadership of the nation embodied by uh, Zerubbabel, the governor, who is Jewish, as well as Joshua, the high priest. He says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? It's been a long time. Not too many people would have been back from Babylon, from captivity, who would have seen this house. But those who, who do, we know from Zechariah's prophecy, they were abashed. When they saw the beginning of the work, it was like, this is too much, this is pathetic, it's embarrassing, it, it's, we're never, ever going to be able to do what we did. I mean, it was an enormous public work that Solomon did in, re, in building the temple the first time. Tens of thousands of people were full-time employed in building that structure to start with, and now to see, so there's 50,000 or so people who have come back from Babylon, but but literally, Solomon did forced labor to do this. And here, that's not what's happening at all. The people are just working on it in their time. Um, it, the, the idea that it could be rebuilt would be overwhelming when you remember what it took to, to build it the first time and the glory and the splendor of that. And to think we can recreate that with sort of people who are working on this thing part-time would be an, an overwhelming and discouraging thing to see. He said, how do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? And it was. We know that it was. Because um, Zechariah had to encourage them not to despise the days of, day of small things when they saw the foundation laid. And, and here, 
Zechariah or Haggai is saying the same thing. He says, "You yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord." And it sounds very much like the encouragement first Moses at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and then the Lord in the first ver- chapter of the book of Joshua. It sounds like that same kind of encouragement. This be strong and be courageous, don't be afraid, that it's the same words that were used when Joshua was being encouraged to step into that leadership role to take Moses' place and lead the people in the conquest of the land. And the only reason those words have to be spoken is if there's a temptation to fear, if there's a temptation not to be strong and courageous. And I've said it before with Joshua, it seems odd that you'd have to encourage him in that specific way, because he was one of the only two people who said, let's go take the land. But it's different being in the number one slot, being the head guy. And so these leaders need to be encouraged by by this prophet Haggai to continue the work. He says, work, for I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. And so he goes all the way back to Sinai to say that I'm with you in the same way that I was then to establish my people in my place. My spirit remains in your midst. What a comforting word to hear from the Lord to say that, yes, I'm with you in this. But it's the promise that we as Christians were given by Jesus in the Great Commission. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. As long as you're about doing the work that he had given to do, then his spirit remains with you. And then he says, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come out, and I'll fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And and the silver and the gold that he's talking about are the silver that, that the nations have at the moment. And he says it belongs to me. Because these things are created things. Yes, there's some work to be done to purify those things, but But ultimately, all of it belongs to the Lord. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And such it was, actually. They marvel at the temple right here in the gospel. Jesus left the temple and was going away. And his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Did they think he hadn't seen them? <laughs> well, it's just a little bit odd that they're going to point out the buildings of the temple to Jesus. He spent the whole week there teaching, and it's certainly not the first time that he's been to Jerusalem in the 30-some-odd years of his life. But the disciples are pointing to this building of the temple, and he answered them, You see all these, don't you? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That, that this entire temple complex is going to be destroyed. And it'll be destroyed in the, in the lifetime of many of the people who heard Jesus actually make this statement. And so he's now come out of the city, and it says as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? It sounds like that they have accepted, when they asked this, what will be the sign of your coming? And the end of the age, it sounds as though they've accepted 
what's what he has told them is going to happen and quite possibly it's because of the parables that Jesus told about the owner of the vineyard for instance and the wicked tenants and it's calling the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites and all the other things that he has said about them that they've come to realize this is not going to end well and so Jesus answered them see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and they will lead many astray and you'll hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. And so these things come all the time. I mean, this has constantly been going on since the t- before the time of Jesus, certainly. And so he's saying that, that you need to keep your eyes on the ball. You need to keep your eyes on the truth. You need to be constant in prayer, lest you be led astray by those who come and claim to be, uh, I'm the Christ. And he said, then they'll deliver you up to tribulations and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Well, that sounds great, Jesus. Why are we following you? I mean, he's saying that this is going to get bad. It's not going to be a good thing at all. And he and he told the truth because many of the people that he spoke with were put to death for their faith in Jesus. And indeed, people are hated for his name's sake. And, and even today in America, which is supposed to be a Christian nation, oh, you can be hated, believe me. Being in Asheville, if, if I learned anything from being in Asheville, and if I learned anything from social media, it's certainly not a route to, to uh, broad-based popularity to follow Jesus. You, you will be rejected, and, and in many cases you'll be hated. Because what you are is you're assigning a signal to the world that it can't have its own way. You're standing in the breach and reminding the world that there's a God. And either you're a fool for believing that, or you've got to be stopped because you're proclaiming there's such thing as sin and wrong. And, and I wonder sometimes if we do that loudly enough or well enough that, that we need to be as a sign to the world that it's lost its mind and it's going astray from truth and from the way that it ought to be, even though it believes that it's moving in some sort of progressive new enlightenment kind of a way. It it has lost its mind, and it's lost its sense of who it is. And he says that that after all that, then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And certainly we see that. When when the going gets tough, you know, the tough get going and the others don't. And, And then they become the accusers of the brethren because they give up. They don't want to fight the fight. They're not convinced and convicted. They don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They're not truly Christians. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. It's hard. It's hard to live in a time of lawlessness. It's hard to live in a time when when we're told that, that good is bad and bad is good or exchange that word for evil. I don't really care which way you say it, but but there's great evils in our land today. There's great evils all over the world, but we we deal with the evil of abortion, infanticide that's being created. We we deal with the evil of people saying, I, I think I'm actually not the sex that I was born with, that I'm something else. We live with this evil attack on identity. And, and it's because we've thrown away the idea of a creator. 
And so we don't see it that way. We, we've come up with a Darwinian explanation for the way the world came into being and then the way we came to be. And so we can't be held accountable because it's in my DNA to do these things, it's, which is the problem in the garden, which is to say that the serpent tempted Eve to act out of desire because, well, that's what a serpent does. We were made for something higher than that. And as long as they can't solve the problem of how consciousness emerged, then they can't win that debate. But we have to be better at it. We have to be able to say, I don't care what your DNA is. I don't care what you believe about evolution and the fact that we came from animals and therefore our lower instincts can prevail. They're not intended to. And show me how we get consciousness. If your story about origins is true, then you need to be able to at least address in some shape, form, or fashion where consciousness comes from because it's a principle and a property that humans have that nobody, that nothing else in the created order has. And so we have to be firm in what is humanity. And we were created in the image of God so that we could directly relate to God and make him known in the earth in a way that no other part of creation can. And it's important that we stand firm in that truth, because that's where we're under attack. And because lawlessness then becomes license, because, well, I can't be held responsible for that. It's in my DNA. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So there you go. If you want to know what, what the end looks like and when the end comes, it's when the gospel is proclaimed to all nations. So as long as it's not been proclaimed to all nations, then we still have work to do, and we're called to be strong and courageous and continue to do that work. It's as simple as that. It's really not difficult. If we keep our heads down and we keep being about the work that we've been given to do, then, then he'll be with us, and his spirit will remain in our midst. But when we take our eyes off the ball and we fail to continue to do the work that he's, been, he's given us to do, then we're in trouble because we're vulnerable. In the passage from Revelation to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Again, back to the seven lampstands and the seven stars in his hand. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Huh. Well, I've been in churches that were alive, but truly on the inside were dead. Um, I, I watched a great church, or what I thought was a great church, um, 30, 40 years ago, yeah, 30 years, 30 years ago now, I watched a great, what, what I believed was a great church and I was a part of it. I watched it fall apart after the rector left and they brought in first a, uh, an interim rector and then ultimately they brought in a, a person to be the rector after that. And I watched that church sort of willingly ditch the truth it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen in my life. What I believed that church was about changed dramatically overnight. And they were willing to accept almost anything thereafter. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. That church, for instance, was, was trying to be about the reformation of an entire denomination. What I found was it was the rector and a few people who saw the problem and were willing to do something about it. But not many 
were willing to do something about it because ultimately they didn't actually believe there was a problem. They wanted to go in that direction of relativism. And they did, remarkably quickly. <clears throat> Went from what I thought was a solid, evangelical, Bible-believing church to a church where the new rector could say, well, he's not a literalist, because when Jesus says, I'm the vine and, the, and you're the branches, literalists would have to believe that he's a green leafy substance. And, and they listened to that and laughed, rather than saying, no, I think everybody knows that's a metaphor. I'm absolutely certain, in fact, everybody knows that's a metaphor, but they were willing to give up truth because of pithy little stupid sayings like that. It was absolutely amazing for me to sit there and watch that and, and then, well, leave. He says, remember <clears throat> then what you received and heard. Go back to the beginning and remember what you received and heard at that time. Keep it and repent. In other words, you've lost the thread. You've lost the truth along the way here. I need you to keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they'll walk with me in white, for they're worthy. A few of them. Not all of y'all. Not most of y'all. A few of you. <clears throat> the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Not him. I will blot the others out, though. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're in a church that's compromised, leave. It's as simple as that. Leave. If, if It's not worth the fight because you're not going to win. It, you can stand and you can argue and you can do all those things, but ultimately that church has made up its mind about where it wants to go. Once you've made your statements... Once you've said and tried to call it to repentance, if you're shouted down, then shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. Because you need to be in a place where truth is taught and is upheld in word and deed. So that's my encouragement to you today, and it's also my admonition to you today, is to be strong and courageous wherever you are. But then if they refuse to repent, if they refuse to hear your message, shake the dust off your feet and move to another place.